No. Anyway, oh. the theater held 75 people. One day there were two people there. One was asleep, <laughs> the other wasn't paying attention. One was asleep, the front row. They sat in the front row. They didn't even fucking hide in the balcony. They were asleep. And you know what? They said after they they came to the wrong place. They 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 came to the wrong place. They thought they were seeing a Bangladeshi puppet troupe do Samuel Beckett's waiting for Godot. Amazing. And instead they saw a Canadian guy talk about three years in Los Angeles, not sounding remotely like oh. the existentialist Irish playwright Samuel Beckett. Nice to see you, Lance. How are you? Good. How are you? Well, I should be having my Toronto Maple Leafs hat on because this <laughs> yes. so represent, nice. man. I see Tampa Bay is playing the Red Sox tonight, and so uh, yeah, yeah, we lost by uh, we lost by half a game, man. It was a heartbreaker. You know, oh. boots to the Orioles, twelve two and ten one, but uh, <laughs> those damn Yankees and they're packed with the devil. <laughs> <laughs> I love the character change real quick. You put on the hat and you became like sports guy. And I was like, that's good. That's really well, good. you know, I'm classically trained. It's all in the costume, really. Your, your second city nature took over almost immediately. You were just like, <laughs> it did. You're, you were yeah. doing like a Tom Post and you're like, and now let me get the manager. Hang <laughs> <on a> <laughs> that's a perfect segue. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Bring me a hat from backstage. I'm going to own this little corner of turfdom for a while. And piss everybody else off. Oh god! That was happening in Second City, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, just don't you get your laughs. Just don't get too many. Right. right. <laughs> they, did they carve many. that into the bathroom wall? Well, I don't know, but there were an awful lot floating. There, there's an awful lot of uh, ex players uh, walking the roads of Second City purgatory. I know that, and that true. Really, who felt, uh, who felt they never got their due? You know. Oh, God, wow. I know. Isn't that weird how, like, every a, almost every A-list comedy club has comics that have been around that won't leave, but they want to tell you how big they were at one point, and you're like, I'm 20, dude. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I got, nothing. Uh, got right. nothing for you. Every now and then I like to brag and say I drink for free north of the Canadian tree line. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but that doesn't go over so well at the comedy cellar. Right, right. No, no, no. A lot of Inuit know me by name. I'm the guy that worked <laughs> around the Arctic char run and the caribou migration. So, look, I mean, there's oh. even six behind me. Can your can your audience see it? <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, that's great. I've seen I love, some, I, I've seen some incredible country in my travels. It's, nice. Uh, I don't know if you cats are are into nature at all, but I oh mean, yes, stuck in blizzards, a yeti wouldn't wander traveling. <laughs> the gigs, it's, uh, it's what's made the road magical these past twenty five years. Right? Do you? I, you know, I got to ask because I feel like I'm. I was always told when I was. Uh, uh, I started doing stand up when I was twenty, oh, and boy. then I was always told like you're gonna hate the road one day. I'm thirty six. I I don't I don't hate it yet. 
I miss oh. it. I love it. I, you know, do you, do you get tired you of strong. it? The road homes you. It's your yeah. displayed, man. Even like, I feel like I have zero, like just from going out, going, being that young and being able to travel that far, like all over the country, whatever. I have no fear of like, you know, like, uh, like I know what it's like to be in a blizzard. I know what it's like to get hit with a different form of weather and like, you know, where you think a tornado is going to knock you on your ass in Nebraska. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm just like, I don't, you know, I'm just like, nothing phases me. And I and love you get it. to read a room everywhere. Yes, exactly. You just don't have that same. See, uh, in Toronto, uh, uh, the lodestone for stand up in Canada, really, mm -hmm. uh, Toronto. Uh, you know, I mean, got 7.3 million people here. And um, yeah, there was Yuck Yucks, there's a lap resort, there was Second City, and now there's the comedy bar. Everybody who's anybody in the States has played there. And <clears throat> at one time, we had Ray Romano, Louis C.K., and oh, nice. Uh, and uh, Ellen Generous, Kevin James come through the lap resort oh. in their earlier incarnations, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's so uh, great. You know, I and uh, but um, you got to play the road, and but we don't have as uh, as an extensive and as potentially lucrative uh, circuit here mm. in the country, uh, which is why I moved into soft seaters uh, twenty two oh. years ago. Uh, I blazed the trail into the uh, theaters then, nice. and uh, my first tour was around the frozen lip of. Uh, Gitchy Gumi with a nod to Longfellow. Wow. Uh, at Lake Superior in February, playing uh, uh, high school gymnasiums and legion halls and community centers. Wow. Uh, but uh, it was tactile and it was a real you could feel. And I knew at that point in time that, uh, yeah, there might not be much of a stroke playing uh, a, uh, <laughs> you know, playing uh, some high school gymnasium. Uh, in Dryden, Ontario, uh, in the middle of the Canadian Shield, scoured Grand <laughs> hard by retreating glaciers. It's where they just left yesterday. Right. Uh, but uh, it paid five times what the clubs did in Toronto. And I had I had kids. I had a mortgage to pay. And yeah. it was just an economic reality. But in America, with 375 million people, boy, I mean, you can throw a stick and hit a dozen clubs. I mean, oh, I yeah. That's a fallacy or not, but I think it's the case. No, it's... You're tr you're, it was funny. We were just talking about it earlier today that there's um, there's there's, you know, like a almost like a club for every Starbucks. You know what I mean? In a suit to a certain extent out here. But at the same time, a different I kind tone of for every club, too. Right. Right. Like right yes. Style. Like, yes. Yeah. The, uh, I just shot up a, um, uh, a cat by the name of Nathan McIntosh. He always played the comedy sellers, a Canadian kid. Hmm. Uh, and he said there's um, and the comedy seller, really, I mean, for my money, when I go to New York to watch stand up, I don't perform yeah. there, but I mean, it's it's uh, the best. Oh, it's the best, hands down. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Great kid, you know, 20, 25 years, my junior. But uh, he said, you'll go to Brooklyn or the Brooklyn acts will come to the seller mm -hmm. and um, they won't, you know, they won't kill. And right. by the sounds of things, you have to kill at that room. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's and you're there. I know I know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about like the the alt comedy hipsterish kind of room scene or whatever. And that's exactly 100 percent true. The comedy like, with no jokes. Exactly where they basically open up a diary and they're like today, and you're like, oh, dude, you're fucking killing me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I uh, I've seen that, and I find it the most uh, appallingly. Uh, uh, it's just contemptible. Yeah. For their form. 
That's and, a great way to put uh, it. You still, you still need the one, two, three. You still need, I mean, it's like these kids who think they're going to catch lightning in a bottle with some great bit on social media. It's like, oh, no, yeah. no, no, no. I, I mean, look, you're, you're 37. You've been at it since you were 20. You're going to put mm -hmm. the time in, man. Yeah, exactly. And they don't, and they don't want to do that either. They're like, why do I want to go? And I'm like, because you have to, you know, one of the, one of the other joys is uh, seeing somebody like that out on the road for the first time and watching them not be able to handle an audience. Oh. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm not fucking saying it. Like this. Oh, is I hear you, man. Yeah. No, 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 they, they have to have their crucible. Have yeah. to have their trial by <laughs> fire. Uh, there's yep. a little town north of Toronto called Sudbury and second show Sudbury Saturday night at 11 o'clock when the mm. uranium miners are, your uranium miners are in, um, shit faced and pissed off. They didn't get laid at the bar and they didn't get in a fight. So, okay. The next best thing, let's deal with the standup. Oh yeah. And, you know, you got to pull your metaphoric blade from that. We keep in the boot and slice yourself to safety, oh, but it absolutely. makes it stronger. It's Nietzsche esque. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It gives you, and plus it makes you stronger, not only as a standup, but just in life in general. Like there's literally nothing uh, anybody, any stranger off the street can say to me that's going to face me. It I'm just like, metal, doesn't it? It doesn't. Right. Need. Yeah. Yeah. That Damascus blade has been folded 57 times after, uh, <laughs> Oh, good uh, reference. Yeah. And, and another great thing too. I mean, to survive in those, uh, clubs, <clears throat> you got to throw your act out the window a lot. Of yes. Times. And that made me better faster. Me too. Yeah, I started with a one-man show. I got back from L.A. in 93. I was down. I was an actor for 17 years. I started in Second City. Right. We went to L.A. Uh, there was uh, two, um, uh, uh, Deb McGrath, who's married to Colin Mockery, and Linda mm -hmm. Cass, who put five years in in Los Angeles as well, and, and actress. Yeah. They, they created a show called My Talk Show, sold it to Ron Howard's company. So we all went down in the early 90s. Wow. <laughs> me. And, uh, you know, old story. Our picture was in Newsweek on Tuesday. This is the cult show to watch this season. We were canceled on Thursday. And Monday, I was chest deep in a hole on Robert Urich's front yard, pulling a rotted bush out with my buddy's landscaping company. Oh, my and, God. Uh, Robert Urich walks out the front door, who had just played Jake Spoon in the riveting miniseries Lonesome Dove. Wow. And he was dressed in baronial splendor. Headed to Will Rogers Ranch to engage in the sport of kings. Oh my! Play a little bit of polo that afternoon. Holy shit! And uh, my buddy Jay at the time, Rob, Bob walks out. My buddy says, "Hey, Bob," points down to me, uh, uh, mud smeared troll in the hole, and says, "This is my buddy Ron. Uh, he's an actor too." And um, <laughs> only people in the business get that. And uh, yeah. oh. uh, oddly enough. He wasn't psyched for a chingwag <laughs> the merits of the Stanislavski method on contemporary American cinema. <laughs> but it made me better being in Los Angeles for a year and a half out of work. And mm -hmm. then, um, and I wasn't a stand-up then, but stand-ups came on my talk show. And nice. I remember thinking, well, wow, a lot of them are funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. They were tight. They had right. tight sets. Yep. But it was that tight eight minutes with the, I don't know, just, it just seemed to lack depth or something, no, uh, I whatever it was. Anyway, uh, I ended up throwing my name in the hat at uh, Ventura Boulevard Coffee House Amateur Nights. Wow. And I uh, started writing what became my first one-man show up and down in Shaky Town. But the disparate collection uh, of uh, foot soldiers trying to get a hold in the American dream, it was, yeah. I mean, you know, you've got to, 
you know, keep the audience's attention when you're following somebody who says they were beamed aboard a ship by aliens and have the scars to prove it. Right. <laughs> and and, and, and I, I like, like I'm sharing the stage with the illegitimate spawn of the Charles Manson clan who <laughs> wandered down from their Chatsworth Warrens with poetry and prose looking for the love that Charlie never gave. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I'm like little st- you know, I've got this this short story that I've written that I'm reading, which eventually became my one man show about the mm-hmm. hitting the wall of reality in Los Angeles versus the celluloid fantasy that you had growing up as a kid, where I was from in Nova Scotia, in Canada. Right. Anyway, regardless, it uh, it made me um, uh, fighting in Los Angeles for a foothold in that carnivores arena. No, mm-hmm. um, my visa didn't get renewed, and I came back here. Uh, but, you know, those three years in L.A., uh, chasing the sitcom dream and, mm. and writing Shaky Town, uh, it's the only reason I'm talking to you now 25 years later. Wow. Yeah, mm. isn't it crazy that those experiences can, like, be one thing at one point in time, and then as you move and progress forward, you're like, holy shit, if it wasn't for this, I wouldn't be here now. So that's... Astute observation. And it's just energy expended as energy returned. Ooh. Yeah, And you don't get... Uh, you don't get anywhere unless you put your shoulder to the mule and plow. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to sound like the old, you know, the old crusty boat builder in some corner of Maine or Nova Scotia. <laughs> you gotta go ahead and build a house first. <laughs> you know, until you've eaten the bosun. <laughs> you really don't know what survival is. <laughs> you know, until you're one of four comedians in a car and you've had to eat the unfunny one. You don't have any idea what you're in store for. I feel like you just gave us a glimpse of what that conversation was like between uh, uh, um, the guy, guys from Shawshank once they got to San Juan Tanejo and they were <laughs> after they finally got that boat made. <laughs> Tim Robbins is just telling him about comedy. <laughs> Morgan's like, "Fuck yeah. it, I'm swimming." <laughs> I hear you, bro. But you Isn't know, you made it with Second City and originally in the touring company, right? Oh, nice. Yeah, so we—that's uh, where uh, and. Uh, you know, Donnie Lake uh, was in the company then. Uh, who, okay, uh, is on uh, Space Force. He wrote yeah, yeah, for years, yeah. and um, uh, just the salt of the earth, dude. And mm. uh, as uh, as I say, Deb was in the company. He was married to yep. Colin Mockery, and um, then uh, when we were already seasoned veterans, uh, we picked this young kid up uh, on a grassy knoll on a stagon mm. in Asian Court. <laughs> Uh, he had a he had a suitcase, a soccer ball, um, a bottle of Tums, a case of Coke, and um, the collected works of Harold Pinter. Wow, that was Meyer. Mike Myers got in. The Mike, oh no oh. way! Yeah, he That's did, crazy. Because he he asked he specifically asked you to induct him right when he got into the. Um... Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it was a great night. It was a yeah. great night, and uh, we still keep in touch and talk about work hard. Yeah, uh, I mean, even as an, I mean, he finishes grade twelve uh, exams and walked into the van with seasoned veterans like us. Or some of us were ten years older than him, right? And right. He, he held his own. And um, uh, but you know, you talk about work ethic, okay? Mm-hmm. Work ethic. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I had a father uh, who was far from draconian. He was very funny, mm-hmm. uh, but he liked the job well. I mean, if you're going to do a job, you have to do it right. Yeah, I remember we'd have a, we'd have a snowstorm, and uh, I was you know you'd have to get the you have to get the snow bank you have to get the snow even. This was in the days before snow uh, snowblowers. 
have to oh, get it wow. even. And I said to him once, I said, Jesus, man, you're going to bring a level and put it on the top of that, a carpenter's level to make mm -hmm. sure the bubble's in the middle. But, you know, <laughs> whether we were sanding the floors or sanding doors or, or shingling the roof mm. uh, or painting the house, it just had to be done right. Yeah. And um, Mike had that work ethic in the beginning with the scenes. I mean, even when a scene wow. was so-so, uh, he wanted to make it better. And don't forget, I mean, we're playing for summertime cottagers, right? Right. I mean, it was the yeah. it was the Canadian Catskills. And then, of course, we, <laughs> but then, of course, you know, you learn. I mean, you guys are really easy to talk to. You, you know, you're affable, you're gregarious. And uh, that's also part of the chemistry that you need to survive. Yeah. Because, um, he's going to be able to get along. And we used to say we should hold the auditions for Second City in the Tony Company band because right. that's really when we were traveling in country. Right. It that seemed to me that, your own. and I could be wrong. It seemed to me that Second City, uh, people who came up in the Second City crew and all that other stuff, were just tighter than maybe SNL. You know what I mean? Because I know there was some competitiveness there in the beginning when it started. Do you feel that way too? That the SCTV guys kind of stick together more and, you know, oh, are uh, kinder you to mean each other? Television show or the stage people? Like just a television show. Like yeah, the television stage people. people were tight for a long time. And yeah. they were. Um, uh, I, I mean, I don't see them much anymore. Uh, I opened for them here when, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, several years ago. And, and it hasn't been on Netflix yet. I don't know why. But uh, Scorsese directed and Jimmy Kimmel hosted. And, oh, wow. uh, yeah, it was a, an incredible evening. Wow. And, uh, boy, oh, boy, they were nice. Yeah. When I was a young kid and on main stage, they used to give me roles in their sketches and you know i'll show up a skinnier version of me with red hair see we'll show up uh <laughs> that's what i've read though i yeah, read that they sure. kind of like they go back out because like the i think the couple of the improv stuff um that went down during covid was like ucb like upright citizens brigade and another one that was oh they of, went down did they i didn't know that yeah they're gone they oh they're, their whole operation which is insane because it's you know they were great they were great, but it, it it was funded. It was started by what Amy Poehler and that other dude who uh, make millions. So like it, it was kind of a weird kind of a thing. There was like a bit of a rift between standups and that particular improv. Um, How many years ago was that? About fifteen or twenty? It was started. Yeah, yeah. You know, there used to be. Uh, it, it doesn't exist uh, in Toronto like it used to. But when I started years ago in the eighties, mm. uh, near the Twain shall meet. There was yuck yucks. There was the standup guys. And yeah. there was that, that particular energy. And then there was improv. And when I right. first started in stand-up, uh, I mean, I dabbled in it when I got out of university. And uh, and I, I believe I say in the book, I didn't have the courage to bomb as much as you have to in, in order to hone your uh, thick skin. And right. that's when I went to Second City. And I wanted, and I found the energy um, of the club in those days. And I'm, I don't mm -hmm. think I'm speaking out of school. Very combative, very competitive. Wow. And I wanted something that was far more uh, egalitarian. And I yeah. did get that at Second City. And I had some great teachers and it was in a great time. Mm -hmm. And it was the um, it was uh, um, at a point where my, you know, I think my my energies were focused on ensemble work. And there was no better place in North mm -hmm. America to learn the craft of ensemble comedy and character driven comedy. Right. And uh, so it was great. I was with them for, um, I guess I was with those guys for, if you include L.A., I suppose, uh, 10 years. 
Wow. Going down to the show. But when stand up, but you will, I don't know, both of you have done improv, right? I've done it. It's funny as I have. Yeah, Tom's (laughs) done improv too, actually, oddly enough. Yeah. (laughs) You know, when people say, oh, it's the same, it's not. I say that uh, an improv troupe, uh, six improvisers uh, are the same as uh, six well-informed Bolsheviks on a communist farm <laughs> tractor, right? where stand-up is an enlightened dictatorship. Yes. Wow. That's beautiful. You know, and it's, that's the way I feel. And, yeah. uh, but the skills that um, you, you learn in second C, I mean, you can't beat working. You can't Monday, we dark on Sunday and Monday. Yeah. Oh, wow. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, four shows, mm-hmm. four improv sets, and then two shows Friday and two Saturday for 350 bucks. Wow. When you were That's 25 nice. years old and with signing charges at the bar, 50% off your booze, man. Yeah. I always feel like I, when I started, I mean, I didn't take a proper improv class. I took a, when I first started, I took a comedy class because I had no idea how to even get into it. There you go. And, uh, and it was great. And it was funny because there's 30 people in that class and it was only me and uh, another friend who actually just passed away because of COVID recently. Um, but she and I were the only ones who did it after that much time. Like we stuck with it and we're good at it. And then, but we did practice some improv in those classes and I loved doing that on stage, but it is a difference between doing it in a group because I got to go to, have you been to, have you done Boston, right? No, no, no. But oh. I've worked with Boston comedians at, okay. uh, at Just for Laughs, and I've heard it's a oh. great comedy town. Yeah, it is. It's I love Bo- my three. I, I love New York. I love Boston and DC are probably my three favorite. I mean, I like LA too, but like, there's something about New York, Boston, and DC where it's just a, uh, you know what I mean? It's just smarter, well, faster. Right, and, and, and I, I would think there's a purity there because yeah. you know the unfortunate thing about Los Angeles is that you, and maybe it's not the case anymore. But it probably you know, is. every set is a life or death set. I mean, you suck oh, yeah. set and the wrong person sees you, you're fucked. Yeah, I don't know that too many people come out so much anymore. But you know what? It, you know what? It weird weirds me out when I when I lived in L.A. I was um, a lot of it is about the credits that you have because there's so many actors turned stand ups now yes. where, where it's like I, I, I would be like. You know, I moved out there and all of a sudden they would be like, and this person's been in yada, yada, yada. And they'd have a good spot. And I'd be like, fuck, they must be great. And then they would that go up and bomb. Squat. It might sound good until you get in front of that mic. Yes. But it <laughs> means squat 10 seconds after you start talking. That's what I learned pretty quickly where I was like, oh, my God, they suck. <laughs> like, I was like, what the fuck? So that's they what suck. I noticed about L.A. Yeah. <laughs> I have a story in the book of uh, a Canadian actor at some event at the CBC who uh, – and I, I, I cannot bear – the glib patronizing of this craft because mm-hmm. it takes forever to be competent at yes and those of us who who um who uh, ply our trade in the comedy trenches mm-hmm. know damn well uh that it takes a lifetime to master if ever yeah. so when some actor with a few movies under their belt flippantly says you know uh my buddies and i are thinking on uh going to the clubs, you know, just to work a few things out. 
Oh, <laughs> work if you think, oh, by all means, away you go. I wanted to enlighten them and say, okay, well, here's what you do. Okay. You're going to walk out from behind the curtain on an amateur night mm-hmm. and uh, feel every bit of moisture leave your mouth and instead show up in the palms of your hands when you can't yes. remember your set. And when the audience goes contemptibly quiet because you have the temerity to think you might be a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and every then, joke that killed elsewhere with your buddies is landed flat as piss on a plate while yeah. your heart is rolling out the hole of your pinhole into the butt-strewn street. And then someone says, that was a good set. You go, yeah, really? And yeah. you come back another amateur night and you do it again and you get laughs and you keep going so that maybe you mm-hmm. can build 45 minutes to work up a popper's payday. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you know, it's do you remember? I remember when I first started, like the, the, I knew it was one of those things I knew I loved doing it because I would bomb and feel that immense, you know what I mean? That warm head, like you just described it, but you get that warm headache in the back of your neck. Basically, it's all the way up. And I would, and I would just bomb. And then immediately I would get home and book five more shows because I needed to make up for the fucking what I just did. I'm like, I can't leave it like that. I got to keep going. And it was nuts. That's the mark of a of a professional. When right. you do the work after the set, you know you don't go drinking beer with the boys. That's what no. Trump was telling me the other day, right? Yeah. Uh, that's what Nathan was talking about. He was at an event. Uh, <clears throat> he was performing here, and nice. he's an excellent stand-up. Mm. And the little show that he wrote, I mean, a little show, the show that he wrote is <laughs> unique and original. And yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, um, uh, this guy tanks at the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. Just tanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was the phrase that Nathan said? This guy just eats his own dick on stage. Right? <laughs> That's the <laughs> best expression. <laughs> yeah. Just eats his own dick. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, my buddy is sick for him. Everybody's yeah. sick for him. Like, oh, my God, he won't be able to look anybody in the eye. Oh, no. <laughs> no, he's at, the, he's at the party afterwards uh, enjoying himself. Right. Away. Right. But nothing happened. Like wow. it doesn't matter. Yeah. It shouldn't matter. Wow. Yeah. It should Absolutely. matter. And you should wear a loss. You should, I mean, a professional athlete does. A doctor doesn't, you know, buy himself a Maserati if he loses the fifth patient that week. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I agree. And you know what's crazy? I still have moments where I remember severe bombs that weren't big, weren't, weren't a big deal career wise. But it's one of those things where, like, you know, you know what you did wrong. You shouldn't have bombed that night. But everybody you fucking know happened to come out to see you. Uh, and you ate it. You know what I mean? And it's like. So awful. Yeah. and you're, But I still remember that to this day. And that was years ago. And I it's like. a story in the book about tanking at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I went over in 97 with my one-man show. I mean, you know, I was playing a. Uh, an old study hall at the University of Edinburgh, whose doors hadn't been open since John Locke was in there right in the midterm. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it smelled of cholera and, and, and <laughs> decomposition. There were ghosts there. Oh. It was grotesque. Right. And uh, there were 1,500 acts, right? Mm-hmm. Every street. And, and the buskers were there. It was a busker festival, which I. I wow. I, oh, wow. I can't stand buskers, man. Hey, look, look, hey. <laughs> Just like tie the balloon dog and call her a day, okay? <laughs> Fire. <laughs> right? Yeah. 
right? Just like, oh, your dad must be happy you dropped out of med school to become a fucking juggler. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, right? So every street corner, they were there were buskers there from Belgium to Rangman Jeezley Gongaloo. I watched a rummy take a shit in a hat before I realized it wasn't a show. <laughs> right? Right? So anyway, nobody's coming to my show. Oh. I had a mortarboard out. I had a big poster out there of the three different faces of LA up and down the shaky town. The first one, happy going. The second one, and the last one, yeah, pull my hair out. Anyway, I have a little rehearsal, and uh, they saddle me with some stage manager. It's simple lighting cues, lighting yeah. and music cues. I'm not asking you to put the, the brain of an ocelot into a rhesus monkey, buddy. I'm just asking <laughs> you to pay attention to the fucking soundboard. Anyway, I was having an aneurysm. I was growing a bubble in my brain. Right. And, and I came out of the hall, and there were two Scottish stagehands standing outside looking at me, having a smoke. And he goes, hey, someone's puked on your poster. <laughs> and some <laughs> Scottish piss tank at 11 in the morning, 11 a.m., had hurled vomited on my middle face and there was a softball sized dollop of human hurl running down my middle head and i looked at that and i thought i don't need to see the oracle of delphi to know that this run's gonna suck <laughs> don't need to see the wizard in the cave hey read some runs oh. for me will you what's up for me these next few weeks Some coming a few british deals yeah. no anyway oh. the theater held 75 people one day there were two people there. One was asleep, the other wasn't paying attention. One was asleep, the front row. They sat in the front row. They didn't even fucking hide in the balcony. They were asleep. And you know what? They said after they they came to the wrong place. They 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 came to the wrong place. They thought they were seeing a Bangladeshi puppet troupe do Samuel Beckett's waiting for Godot. Amazing. And instead they saw. A Canadian guy talking about three years in Los Angeles, not sounding remotely like oh. the existentialist Irish playwright Samuel Beckett. And oh they my God! Me. We really wanted to see the puppet troupe. Well, that's not my fucking problem. <laughs> <laughs> we really wanted to see the puppet troupe. You were wow. good, but we wanted to see the puppet troupe. Jesus Christ! <laughs> three weeks. But, you know, I hauled the guts out of the show every day. I made it better. Mm. You know, I, and you'd, you'd walk out from behind the curtain and you'd go, how many are here today? <laughs> you're here today. All right. One night, one day, I got three stars out of five in the Independent. They finally came to review me. Wow. And so I had one too many <laughs> Lagvulans that night celebrating. And I oh. woke up in the morning with just a hydrocephalic-sized head. Yes, it was like a Macy's Day float. It should have been held down by guy wires. It was, the biggest, it was the biggest bastard in the world. And it was like 120 degrees in Scotland. Everybody was smoking. Wow. And they were all purple-faced and grumpy. Anyway, I said, I got to go down. I just got to go sit in the shade downtown. I had to walk this off. And there was no shade left in the old town of Edinburgh because the last tree was chopped down in 1310 to burn a witch. <laughs> And it was the world's largest concentration of bagpipers. Oh, my God. And I had a headache. 
Oh, oh, Holy oh shit. my God. I almost fouled myself <laughs> when they hit these odious notes. Uh, anyway, it was, uh, it was a crucible that's remembered. But when you talk, you know, you, we talk about the road or we talk about trials, we talk about failure and you don't want to sound like a, a, like I say, a cranky old bastard. I'll tell you another thing. <laughs> taste a human foot. You don't know what suffering is. <laughs> right? That's great, <laughs> though. Better, brother. Those are good. The only reason I'm talking to you now. So, you know. Yeah. You know what's crazy? I was literally, one of my questions was going to be was, uh, what was it like in Edinburgh? And I'm glad I didn't even get, like, that was, <laughs> that was great. Because I've heard rough stories. That's probably the oh. roughest I've heard. Oh, it was just. But that is. Oh, because... it was every single day. Right. And the stage manager, buddy who they, he, uh, he, he was working on his PhD in folklore. Folklore, <laughs> what kind of job does that get you unless you're going to be a translator in the elfin tongues of Tolkien? I mean, he should have been. We should have been back at the faculty lounge drinking mead with Bilbo Baggins lookalike. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Rogue tongued. <laughs> oh God, that's right? great. With socks and Birkenstocks or something, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, oh it my was God. just uh, hellish. It was just hellish. Yeah. But as time went on, you know, I, the, the first tour I put together around Superior was so exciting, and then I got a nice. great producer in Canada just by hook or by crook. We just yeah. happened to be uh, and uh, started. We started with half a dozen soft seat theaters in wow. 2000 in Canada. That's and great. we sold out one thousand oh. seater down the road in Ottawa. Wow. And I'd only had a couple of, I had shaky town was on the comedy network at that point in time as a 90 minute special. It was, I got one. Russell Peters got one. I love Russell Peters. And uh, Jeremy Hotz, my buddy. I love Jeremy. I was going to ask you great? about Jeremy Hotz. Love oh, you got you got to get him on your show, man. I you know, I have a I have a good friend who's best friends with Jeremy Hotz. You know oh, Joe, he's the best. Do you know Joe Starr? No, I don't. I don't. He's done I, Just for Laughs like five years straight. He was like part of the Masters, and then went on their, their like one of their last tours with them. But he was with Russell and Jeremy, and um, but he's best friends with Jeremy Hotz. And every time he goes oh, out to LA, he crashes best. there. And I go to LA all the time or whatever. And I finally got to meet Jeremy because we did the ice house together. And uh, it was just, it, he was fucking awesome, but he was mad that I was, I, I'll never forget it. Cause I know, you know, he's, you know, he know how he is. Yeah. So um, it was just funny. So Joe, Joe, his buddies texting me and I'm talking to Jeremy, whatever. And then I go, uh, yeah, you know, I'm doing this or whatever. And then I'm going back. Uh, I got to go back to Jersey. I got to go back to this is where I live. And he goes, uh, and he goes, why? And I go, <laughs> I got, I got date. I got dates. I got to go. He goes, well, you're coming back here. Right. And I go, well, yeah, but I don't, you know, I don't live here. And he goes, why not? <laughs> I, was like, I don't, I used to. And I go, but I had to go. He goes, he's like, he should have never moved. <laughs> and then I asked Joe, he's just great. Haven't seen him uh, for about three years ago. We did a benefit for mental health in Ottawa. That oh, was nice. the first time I'd seen him in uh, years. And, uh, Hmm. Oh my God. And he's a bulletproof act. Uh, the first yeah. tour just for laughs did in fact, in Canada, it was uh, he and I and Brent, Butt, who oh, nice. by the name of corner gas. Yeah. And, uh, Jeremy and I used to change, uh, uh, Brent was hosting and Jeremy and I would change, um, uh, closing spots. Uh, how and great is it when I you go with your friends? Kill oh. all the time. Yeah. Yeah, he, Every, he always kills. Yeah. 
He's oh, so okay. good. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. love when you get to go and perform with your friends because oh, there's nothing yeah, like not doing much. Uh, it's yeah, and I really miss it. Yeah, I really miss it. Um, uh, there's some cats uh, I, I I really like working with, you know, and just for laughs was always. Have you ever played JFL? I haven't. I was going to ask you a little bit about that. I want to desperately. I I have I've not. I haven't even been to Canada. Believe it or not. Oh wow, man! Wow. You? I, I, have you I been know. Up? Tom probably has. Oh yeah, I love Canada. It's actually one of my favorite countries, and I've been to a lot of a lot of countries. Yeah. And Canada has excellent food, excellent culture. It's so friendly. Yeah, I really am a big fan. Have you been to my province in Nova Scotia? No. You know what? Nova Scotia is on my list. Quebec City and Nova Scotia, both places I want to get to, like right ASAP. But when you guys shut down, I have oh. like I haven't traveled since right before that. But yeah, yeah I want to come right. down to New York too. But uh, America isn't recognizing uh, AstraZeneca vaccines. When right. you get down here, we're definitely going to get together. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Let's do it, man. Area, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're thinking Please. about coming down uh, uh, just before Christmas, maybe. You know, nice. Ooh, and uh, yeah. New York's nice then, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. It's always nice. I mean, I love it, but particularly exciting time. Yeah. Rockefeller Center is lit up. And yes. It's like you're in a movie, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's please yeah. let's get together uh, yeah, yeah. when you get down that, here. Yeah, that'd be, great. be cool. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, it's uh, it's been a uh, just for laughs was the grail. Uh, and yeah. mentioned quite a bit uh, in the book, too. Uh, the highlight of JFL uh, for me was getting to work with your heroes. Yeah. And um, in 2004, was it my gala in 2004? My gala, Don Rickles was hosting my gala. Oh my God, no way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was Rickles. That's incredible. And I was just, we were all just ecstatic, right? Yeah. I mean, here he is. And uh, I pay homage to the night in the book as well. But um, I used to do this bit at the time. Uh, about camping, as you say, uh, camping's fun in the daytime, mm -hmm. but as soon as the sun goes down, everything that eats meat wakes up. <laughs> I was pretty safe, though. I camped beside some Germans. God bless them, but their accent will scare anything. And they were only trying to set the friggin' tent up. <laughs> I don't care where you are, hiking the Cabot Trail or rafting the belly of the Grand Canyon. You hear, you're making a beeline for Switzerland. You want to keep <laughs> run for the border with the Von Trapp family? I'll hold them off. I have a head. Used to do that bit there. Yeah. Anyway, I come backstage and Rickles is laughing. And oh. this agent for comedians comes up to me and goes, Rickles was watching your set. He was killing himself. Wow. Rickles comes up to me and he's looking. He's this far from my face, right? And he said, that was a great set, kid. I can't believe it. Just this, this little turtle head, right? Looks like the king of the turtles. He's like, right in front of me. You know, that was a great set, kid. He said, uh, I didn't get my, I didn't get my first break till I was 38 years old. Said, How old are you? I said, 42. The smile changes in a heartbeat into the face you'd use for a widow at the closed casket of her husband. <laughs> Oh my God! Knocks you in the face and says you're finished. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Anyway, oh. I, uh, I got to get his autograph on the JFL poster. Right? Mm -hmm. And there's a little guy there. As I say, little. I'm only five foot four, but this guy. Me too. Okay, there you go, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, but this guy uh, was five foot one. Okay. Uh, he was. He'd been. 
I said, could I, and, and I said, I want to get Frank Sinatra's autograph to the agent. He said, that's a guy you want to ask. Uh, Frank Sinatra's autograph. Uh, yeah, yeah, Don uh, Rickles. Don Rickles. So this guy comes up, he goes, I will get Mr. Rickles' autograph for you. I was Frank Sinatra's stage manager for years. <laughs> and he's just like one of these little guys from Vegas, right? Mm -hmm. He goes where the bodies are buried. Look, I can get you the ring <laughs> with the finger on it, if that's what you want. Do you want the finger right. on the ring? Anyway, he takes me to the room. And Rickles is sitting there with two high balls of ice water. Tuxedo's mm -hmm. open, just sitting. Uh, there's four other guys against the wall, just like this, you know. Four guys with carcinogenic tans, right? Just everything, you know. Just <laughs> right. And uh, Rickles writes on my poster, funny is as funny does, and you are. Ah. Six months later, I'm driving from Vancouver to Northern BC and Prince George. And I'm stuck in that blizzard of Yeti wouldn't wander <laughs> uh, with logging trucks barreling out of the blizzard on my side of the road. Wow. And the three lane highway uh, became a snow crusted goat path, a Taliban refugee with a winning lottery ticket wouldn't cross. <laughs> and their ass end of logs is swaying into my lane. Mm -hmm. And I think they're going to bounce me into the afterlife. I'll become one of those spooky white crosses. Coyotes happily hop the highway to piss on. Right. <laughs> That'll be my ending days, right? Hey, that's where the guy died who did the liquor burn dance. Anyway, whatever. And, uh, but that's the collateral. That, that's the sole collateral you keep. Right. That's the, that's the hum that stays with you that, you know, it's almost like the, you know, the Joseph Campbell mentor on the long mm -hmm. journey, right? It's the guy that says, no, 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 you're, you're going the right, it's not going to be easy, right? Yeah. But you're on the right path. Yeah, there's absolutely. A, there's a, it just reminded me of a joke uh, that, uh, or a story basically that Seinfeld has told where um, I think it's, I could be messing up who it is exactly, but it's basically this, it's like Trans-Siberian Orchestra. They're going to do a gig. It's a blizzard. Their bus breaks down, but they can see the venue. So they got to walk and they're, dragging all their instruments and everything and they're you know the bottom of their pants are wet and it's freezing cold and you know they're they're uh you know they're trudging through the snow and they see this they pass this house and they look right in the window and they see this family there and they're all warm and they're all gathered around the table and you know laughing and and basically eating dinner in front of each other and one of the guys goes to the other one how do people live like that <laughs> he's like and that's what it's like being a stand-up <laughs> performer and it's like, would you give that's that a up great story right as it is reminding me of you said you just did the whole blizzard thing so I'm like, that's a beautiful. great story yeah you know it's yeah, uh, great it's that's perfect mm -hmm. and seinfeld of course um walks the talk i remember yeah. reading a book years ago before it became a stand-up called comics i think it's out of print now comic insights or, or com I know what you're talking about because I have all those. I think I have it. It's from the 70s, right? Yeah. If Paul, or, or early 80s, Paul early Weiser 80s. is interviewed. Yes. It's, interviewed. it's called Comic Insights, and it's by Franklin uh, Ajay. There you go. Yeah. And it's a great book. Interviewed too. It's before he got famous, right? Yep. And I love how Seinfeld says people are always complaining about stealing people's jokes. Write another one. Yeah, absolutely. And thievery isn't notorious here mm -hmm. because um, in Canada, uh, stand-up is paid gratuitous lip service by the powers that be. Wow. It just is. And yeah. um, I will have to um, uh, 
I, um, we succeed despite ourselves here. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, uh, it's one of the reasons why I moved into soft seaters as many years ago as I did. I, um, uh, you know, the club circuit was just so lean and futile. Right. But um, is there anyway. still an urge to get to, um, you know, or like, because I, I don't know, like whenever I listen to, you know, guys like um, from the old SCTV crew and and uh, Martin Short or, or whatever, but there's like there or like even stand ups, you know, from Canada or whatever, Jim Carrey, there's always like an urge to get to America. Yeah. In a certain sense. But over the years, as so many talented people have been shown to come into Canada, is there still that feeling like you need to make it in America? Or do you think people still like, you know, now there's like a whole different feel like Canada has all the funny people right now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but we but we don't have the uh, we don't have the uh, infrastructure uh, nor the depth okay. uh, to uh, to build these these killer um, a slew of killer comedies. I mean, mm -hmm. Shit's Creek was an anomaly, uh, yeah. and it threaded the needle, yeah. and it uh, it just absolutely tapped into the zeitgeist. Beautiful. And of course, Eugene and Catherine and uh, and Dan. Um, but, uh, having their pedigree at the helm of that, then there mm -hmm. was Tim's convenience, which is uh, very popular with the Korean diaspora, uh, which did well. But for the most part, the, you know, that, that 12 person writing room, which Los Angeles was synonymous with for so long. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there were days when there were 20 writers, weren't there for sitcoms? I mean, yes. my buddy told me that when he wrote, yeah, that when he and Bonnie Hunt had their series, uh, oh. they'd have 12 writers in there. And they'd still have to go in on Sunday and finish the scripts. Yeah, I love right? Bonnie Hunt too. Yeah, yeah she's phenomenal. Yeah, she's a, she's amazing. She's a, um, she's uh, one of those uh, and a, uh, a precursor to Tina Fey. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, and absolutely. she um, absolutely um, trailblazed uh, for um, for women from from Second City. That's yeah. for sure. But yes, yeah, the American dream uh, is still existent in Canada when it comes to comedy. Right. And um, it's uh, it's not so imperative with me anymore mm -hmm. because I was able to um, I was able to find uh, my place here. Mm -hmm. And um, at that point in time when it would have been apropos for me to head to America again, I'd already had a second daughter right. and uh, I'd moved into a house. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I had a mortgage to pay. Uh, you know, I had a, a, a bathroom to fix. <laughs> I had the thing that I had shoes to put on. I had people to feed. Yeah. And so that became as much a priority for me as my career was mm -hmm. or did. And the necessity of moving beyond the myopic perimeter, the big smoke for this other wider world of wonders. Mm -hmm. um, I will. I, look, I'm not going to lie. I mean, you never forget uh, March in Los Angeles when a rain comes through and the air smells like eucalyptus and you're hiking in Topanga Canyon or somewhere in Point Doom. Right. I mean, the place is intoxicating. It's a narcotic that sometimes I'll even wake up smelling it. You know, it's been yeah, yeah, really. And I have good memories of when my eldest was young there. But slowly over the years, it, it just um, 
it didn't become as much a priority to go down there and fight it out again in the clubs once I began to fill 2,000 seaters here. Yeah. So, and I came to the conclusion, you know, I mean, laughter is laughter, right? Yeah. Um, hearing yeah. 2,000 people laughing in a snowstorm in Edmonton in February sounds exactly the same as 2,000 people laughing in Las Vegas when it's warm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you might not, I mean, you don't, you don't make the money that you do there you, you 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 have to suffer relentless conditions on the road mm -hmm. but the hotels are comfortable now the food is a lot better that you have to eat and uh i'm not traveling in a car with three other people living on fast food and faith bunking at some down at the heels funky motel yeah. the, where <laughs> Biker groups broke the thumbs of snitches and the maids try to scrub the stink of hopelessness away with pine <laughs> so. I got booked in a I got booked in a hotel once where they uh didn't realize that they were renovating the wing I was in. <laughs> and uh and I got in there and I was so you know, you're exhausted from coming off the road. So I get into my hotel room and I immediately collapse on the bed, set my alarm, I get up like an hour before, you know, the show or whatever, I'm like, I'm going to take a quick shower. I go to turn on the water and like this horrible gut wrenching noise comes on. I'm like, Oh fuck. Come on. So like, I go there, I go to call down to the desk from the phone. There's no dial tone. And I, notice, <laughs> yeah, I noticed there's no lights on in my room. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then I go out into the hallway and you know how you usually in a hotel room, you can hear kids or people dead fucking silent. So Not I'm like, what the fuck happened? I go back in my room. I call from my cell phone and they're like, where are you? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, 83 B, you know, whatever the fuck. And they're like, Oh, that's all being rented. Like that's being taken down. I'm like, well, before the wrecking ball comes in, does somebody want to move? <laughs> like, you know, like a fucking taxi moment from Jim sitting in the room and he just gets that. Buddy, yeah. I hear you. So that, that first tour around superior, they had these, uh, uh, there was everything, but, uh, you know, the tape of a body on the floor, but they, they had, uh, they had complimentary coffee. And I remember thinking, I took one sip and I thought, if this coffee's a compliment, my wake up call must be a kick in the nuts. <laughs> it was just this, but what we suffer in the beginning is, uh, you know, it's Nietzsche, yeah. like I say, whatever tries to kill you will only make you stronger. Oh, absolutely. You know what? Nobody gets great stories out of how comfortable the bed was. Yeah. Whatever tries that's to kill true. you only makes you funnier in this business. Like, that's the only. Uh, <laughs> you know what's true. You know what's crazy, though? I was, do, you know, do you know Ted Alexandro? Mm, what do great I know New, he's a great New York comic. He opens for Jim Gaffigan all over the road and stuff. But he's just like a, he's a state, he's like one of the best comics in New York. Um, but he, uh, he and I were talking and we were talking about like um, just basically the things you learn to accept as a comic that no normal human being. Because I, I was like, dude, I remember the first time I met you. You were so nice to me. You know, we actually ate dinner together before the show. And he goes, I just want you to stop right there <laughs> and listen to what you said. I was nice because I let you eat dinner with me. <laughs> like, but it's so true. It's just a simple courtesies. Yeah. I was like, yeah, you're really nice. And he was like, that's amazing that we come from this uh, world. <laughs> this strange carnivores arena. Because there, there are savage encounters, aren't there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's weird. I mean, I, I've got, I lucked out. I met I a lot of good find people. That comes from insecurity, though. Oh, totally. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, anytime, like, especially now, like, I, I look back on 
you know, dudes that have yelled, you know, they maybe yelled at me when I was younger or whatever. And I was like, oh, I totally get it. We were doing a, you know, I was just starting out. So it was fine for me. But this guy was doing a an Elks Lodge on the side of a mountain to three goats and a square, you know. So I'm like, of course. And he's been in it for 40 years. So that sucks. Of course, he's getting bitter. And it's always yeah. the missed moment, right? Right. It's yeah. like that. Um, I didn't realize it till I watched the documentary on Del Close that oh. uh, he worked with Elaine May and Mike Nichols. Yeah. They went to Broadway and then he got the boot. Yep. He was just, we don't need you. I didn't I know. know that part of his story. I got sad when I heard that. That was a real bummer. That was uh, that was pretty Machiavellian. Yeah. Yeah, it it's it is kind of funny too too because from being in this business when you watch like a documentary like that or whatever, it hits so much harder cuz you're like how many moments have you had like that or could have like that where it just, you know, you can get stung from somebody that you know. Well, thankfully it's uh it's not uh it's not happened to me other than the regular competition that comes sure. from six comedians in close quarters in an improv troupe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Do you what find you, that you know what it, you step on my line for? I set you up, and then you didn't. Mm. It, it, right? It's where it's where improvisational theory uh, of Viola Spolin and and mm. uh, and uh, uh, the ilk uh, of such, um, right. you know, um, comes into conflict with um, just natural ego, natural ego, and ambition and and competitiveness. You know. Right. Uh, do you find that that mellows a little bit though, with like oh your gosh, like? Is, yeah, is, is, the, that's what's great about getting older. Yeah. Uh, all the uh, all the corners around it. Right. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> right. It, it's true. It's so true. It, it's just so true. And it's um, you know, as much as you see your line in the sand clearer, and you're less reluctant to suffer fools, mm -hmm. or maybe what's better to say that you're um. You're less reluctant to suffer mediocrity, Ooh. I suppose. Yeah, and um, and give credit where credit's due. Yeah, right. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, you have to. Uh, I tell the story in the book uh, about um, I had to host a CFL dinner, uh, the 99th Canadian Football League, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, three downs, bigger ball. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> and uh, minus 45 degrees when they play in Saskatchewan. Right. Um, but I, 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 I'm always amazed at these, how these Louisiana kids adapt to being uh, a wide receiver in Saskatchewan where it can go down to minus 43 days right. of Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they, uh, I was hosting this dinner and there were these two giants, uh, uh, these two icons. Mm -hmm. And this will get back to... Um, letting it go and the edges rounding. One of them was um, Angela King Kong, Angelo King Kong Mosca. Okay. And the other guy was Joe the Chicano Cap. And Joe Chicano Cap uh, was from the uh, the mean streets of, uh, of L.A. Mm -hmm. And he had the honor of having quarterback the Rose Bowl, the Super Bowl, and the Grey Cup. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. And he was still life, a lean, mean fighting machine who moved like a predatory cat. Angela Mosca had a cane and uh, was still wo was wobbly. They were both in their late 70s. Wow. And uh, anyway, they were supposed to talk about this dirty hit that Angela Mosca laid on uh, Joe Capp's wide receiver, Willie Will-O-The-Wisp, in 1950. 
1961. Wow. Oh, they man. showed us black and white footage of the game. Mm. And it's like, you know, that footage you see of the soldiers storming the beaches of Normandy? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the helmets look, they were made of paper mache. Right. Anyway, Will of the Wisp, the play is called off, and from across the field comes two-ton Angela Mosca, this kid from the combat zone in Boston, and just lays a hit into Willie, knocks him out of the game. Hamilton, Angie's team, wins the Grey Cup. Joe's team loses it. Mm -hmm. Joe never forgives him. Wow. So they show this thing, and I'm introducing them. I'm the host. I just did my act for uh, all these Canadians who were there for the Grey Cup party. And uh, so I introduced Joe Cap. I read his prestigious list at the top. Mm -hmm. And he pulls this little piece of heather from a table setting. And he's got this little piece of heather in his hand. And I said, Joe, so you're going to give that to Angie as a peace offering. And he looks at it. And I saw the idea pass through his pass behind his eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, he walks toward Angie, starts flicking it in his face. Uh, and Angie, uh, with the cane, which he steps back first, Joe tries it again, takes the cane, and he swings it at him uh, to knock the heather out of his hand. Wow. And it hits Joe's glasses, sends his, you can watch it on YouTube, sends his glasses flying across the stage. Oh, shit. And Joe steps into Angie Moscow. Pow, pow. Puts three rabbit punches in his head. Angie tumbles back. Boom. Oh. Head falls behind the curtain, and it's Goliath falling. The entire room shakes. Then Cap runs over and puts three boots into his midsection, saying, and stay down, you piece of shit. Oh, my wow. God. Silence. One woman's lone voice comes from the crowd. Let it go, Joe. Let it go. Wow. That's everything. Yeah. And it's a lifelong thing because everybody's been burned. Everybody's been missed, had our missed moments. Everybody's had the what ifs, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Everybody's seen somebody maybe lesser than them get the break when they don't. You know, they kill that night, but they take the guy that doesn't kill as well as you. Wow. And away he goes. And there's a lot of bitterness like that with um, some people in Second City, you know, who hold grudges for a long time. And sure. in stand-up, too, and in show business. It just, yeah. it just exists. But then again, you know, I had a friend who was an ophthalmologist, and she said, oh, and she taught at, U at the university here as well. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable the backbiting amongst faculty members in the same faculty. So right. I just thought it's so good to let it go. So let it go. So to, it's a roundabout story to your um, uh, your statement there about uh, you know the business and and yeah and everything. And I just I'm just so happy doing this work, guys. Uh, and yep. I always was. I was really nervous. I mean, my early sets at Just for Laughs are unwatchable. <laughs> and uh, there was a famous Canadian humorist back in the 1940s whose name was Stephen Leacock. He wrote, and a critic once called me Stephen Leacock on Benzedrine. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, <I> was... <laughs> wow. So it's nice that as you get older, you slow down, you forgive, um, you forget yeah. what you can, and mm -hmm. you take with you what's important. Yeah. And you leave what's not. 
I think. And and me, I mean, the work to me is always about um, lightening the load of the people that have come into the theater. I mean, you don't want to put another brick on their back either. Uh, right. Exactly. You want to satirize and hold power to account. And I think you yeah. might have more wiggle room in America because of your numbers there, right? I mean, you got three hundred seventy-five <laughs> million people. I mean, you can have half that country hating your guts and still have six times the population of Canada thinking you're. Oh a God! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. I know it's it gets a little dicey here. It was it was interesting going out on the road when all that shit was going on. I can't imagine, man. Yeah, it was. I've had, oh, dude, I've got it all. Thank God I tape almost every set because I've oh, had some. That's oh, yeah. I've had some fucking crazy interactions with Bro, people. Bro, you've gone south of the Mason-Dixon line into hardcore Trump country on the road? Absolutely, yep. But what do you do then? I do my act. I no. fucking do it, man. I barrel through. Because you know what's funny? I love finding the nuggets of people in those areas uh, that yeah. are quiet liberals, that are, that are you know, whatever. And those are fun. But the, the craziest thing is, is like, you know, you do get into those situations where, like, I, I was in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was doing a... Um, uh god i can't remember the name of the place but um i was doing a club out there and one guy only one i, I was doing a great had a great time i was doing my set and then i went to leave and the owner was like you can't go outside right now and i was like why and he was like because there's a uh a former uh marine who oh. wants to beat the shit out of you for oh. men for mentioning trump or whatever and i was like cool 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 uh <laughs> like i'll i'll stay here um, but yeah, and he was like, it was just one dude, but it was like that. But I've had like other instances where people all it takes like, is one to, you know, have you suck in your steak through a straw for the rest. Yes, of the exactly. And here's what the difference you... between here and there, though. This is the difference. Mm -hmm. Everybody's packing heat, man. Oh, yeah. Everybody's yeah. armed. You're right. Absolutely. Especially in Phoenix. Um, yeah, open carry, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, and what I was going to say to your to your statement before, though, about the, you know, about mellowing out and just letting it go and stuff like that, too. Um, it, it's one of those things that I hope people kind of take in, especially as they're younger and have time to do it, too, because, you know, now when stand up, it's like everybody's kind of fighting for this. Sh you know, the club owners have us fighting for a thing and, you know, all, all these other people do, too. And it's like it's not the same anymore. None of those clubs are making anybody famous. So why are we fighting over that interesting? None of those clubs are going to make anybody famous. Yeah. Right. And we're all, but the of, myth you know... is still there. It's like the myth of the frontier. Yeah. You know, yes. the, you know the go West young man. And I think yep. as you answered, I mean, absolutely Los Angeles, uh, uh, the American dream and the sitcom dream or comedy dream percolate here. I know all kinds of people who go right. down and until you've seen the, um, uh, until you've got an eye on the on the incredible attrition rate mm -hmm. and the um, uh, and the, how hard it is the competition. I mean, how I, 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 it's it's like no other place in the world. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Canadians will ask me. A certain kind of Canadian will ask me sometimes. Uh, so, do you ever play the states? And I'll say no. And they'll look at you. <laughs> there's a look that comes over their face that says. Well, I guess you're doing okay, except for that big hairy ear growing out of your forehead. <laughs> but it does. Now, my friend went down uh, for a month. Uh, she's a screenwriter and uh, for some meetings. And mm -hmm. uh, I think she went to Catch. Is Catch still there in Caroline's? Uh, yeah, yeah, Caroline's is. Catch isn't in New York anymore. Catch is in Princeton, New Jersey now. Oh, is it? All and right. that's the last one. Oh, really? But Caroline's is there. Caroline's is on yeah. Broadway, 50th and Broadway. She went on a headlining night and... She said it was all dick jokes and drug jokes. Yeah, man. So maybe she just got a bad night. I don't know. Well, 
I'll be honest with you. I mean, I'm, I mean, I don't, I don't care anymore. So ca- COVID's changed a little bit of everything in me. Uh, <laughs> ca- catches all dick jokes and, and drug lines. It's not, it's not what it used to be. And it kind of bums me out because I really, I didn't get to experience, you know, uh, the catch in its heyday with the one that everybody talks about, you know, all the, uh, all the, all the stuff that, you know, That's where Seinfeld came up, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Seinfeld, Paul Reiser. Um, but there's gotta be a seat. There's gotta be somebody there who would set that standard. That's one of the things about mm. being on stage in Toronto in the early eighties when I was, when right. SCTV was on the air. Yeah. When you're on stage, you got John Candy in the audience. Oh yeah. Or you got Flaherty in the audience or Eugene had come down. Right. And, I mean, we were still learning the form then, but yeah. I mean, they set a standard. Yeah. And that's one thing I took from that institution were standards. Right. And um, a club, a club owner, uh, if, if there's not a, a, a top notch act there to set the standard. So aspiring acts can um, at least learn from if they're willing Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, he should set that standard. And the impression I get about the comedy seller is that, is her name Esther? Yep. She yeah, sets Esther. the standard. She does, absolutely. And she she's, and you know, you know it immediately when you walk into that room, when you go down, when as soon as you step foot on stage, you know, you do your time, you do what you need to do. You got to have your A game ready and fucking ready to go. And that's it. And that's at one o'clock in the morning, right? Yeah, so that's at one o'clock in the yeah. morning next to, you know, people who don't speak any fucking English. And um, yeah. it's I'm crazy. I'm up late for you tonight. I, I appreciate that, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I like I, I like to make it. It seems special when people stay up late. <laughs> um, that's very nice of you. Well, listen, I've kept you for an hour. I got two more questions for yes, you. Yes, brother, go. This thank is you. so enjoyable. Ah, I feel like I've known you, so you guys thank my you. whole life, man. Thank you. Yeah, I, that means a lot to guys. us. Thank you so much. That does um, mean a lot. Yeah, we we uh so we asked the uh, quite the same two questions to every guest we have. So um first one is if you can go back in time and talk to your younger self and give yourself a piece of advice that would help you now, what would it be? Life is all about the long haul. Ooh, nice. Beautiful. Um and the second question is if um or, or basically it was uh what had to end in your life? to get you where you are now could be good or bad, but what had to end? Well, that's a big question because I don't want to answer it about career Mm -hmm. because it's not a career question. Right. Essentially. Is it? No, no, no. I think my marriage, Hmm. I was married for 23 years and um, I uh, strayed and uh, shouldn't have, Mm -hmm. but it was, it had been on the rocks for a while, for a long time, but uh, it really, it was acrimonious and, and heartbreaking. And I was estranged from my kids for eight months. And wow. during those eight months from my youngest, I was in the belly of the whale. Wow. And I lived in the belly of the whale. And uh, it got pretty dark uh, there. And uh, I, uh, you know, I mean, I, um, 
I'm on the best. Uh, my daughters are my best pals now. You know, they're 32 and 27. Nice. And his dad would say to me at the time, uh, time is a great healer, Ronnie. Time's a great healer. And uh, but I became a better man, I think. Mm -hmm. I became a better person uh, after that loss. And uh, it took a long time, you know, I mean, the therapy helps if you need meds, take those too. mental sure. health is a huge issue with us. Absolutely. And uh, it's all through the family, mine to different degrees, my dad's side, my mom's side. And uh, I resisted that, you know, but yep. uh, it uh, it helped me uh, take a hard look at things that needed to change. And I needed to change a lot of things. And I'm not saying I didn't have any, you know, that I didn't um, take two steps back to go one step forward further down the line. Right. Uh, but, you know, we split in 20, uh, in 2009 and April. And two weeks later, I was putting my series up. Wow. And so, but it, uh, it was, uh, it was a wake up call to, uh, shift the paradigm and it took a long time. It's like, you know, you used to say turning the queen Mary around, right? It takes a long time to turn one of those big ocean liners. Yeah. around. But you know, I did the right reading. I worked on myself. Uh, you know, I stayed healthy. I kept exercising. I ate right. And, uh, uh eventually, uh, met a woman who was very nice and, uh, you know, it, things have a way of working out. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've, so that's what that's that changed me. And, and um, uh, it took me a long time to um, I always kept journals on the road. I always kept moleskins when I was touring. Love the those. Yeah. Social media. Right. So you wouldn't be suddenly, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be feeling compelled to take pictures of French fries. I was eating in, <laughs> in you know, Prince George, British Columbia. So somebody in Nova Scotia or Texas could go, geez, they're nice fries. Um, whatever. <laughs> Um, uh, but just to get the dopamine hit, but I, I yeah. definitely kept them and I had to go back to them mm. when I wrote the book the last couple of years. Nice. And it, it's interesting, you know, to see the, the change in awareness from, you know, the days in the belly of the whale or the days, even when the act was just starting to take traction on the road and the crowds were getting bigger and growing exponentially mm -hmm. and, uh, the momentum that was picking up. But really, uh, it was an affirmation of people in place. And uh, as much as things might have been going uh, south at home, uh, it, the road and the people I met who told me their life stories and gave me a window on their world, mm. that, had, um, that was a sea change. It, uh, it was the hidden boom that Campbell talks about on the journey. Mm -hmm. That when you follow your bliss, these other events begin to validate the journey. Right. And so I was able to put those stories in there as well as talk honestly about uh, my own shortcomings. And you guys know, I mean, when you come back off the road, I, I mean, you're you're like a soldier. You're yeah. still humming. Yep. You're still humming. You're nocturnal. You're fidgety. Yeah. You're, um, you can't sleep. It's it's um, it's uh, or you're just, you know, tucked into a corner. As my daughters <laughs> used to tease me, they said, Dad, you're reading another book and it's not in the Battle of Stalingrad. Is everything OK? <laughs> uh, so, so I uh, but uh, it's time's a great healer. And, 
you know, just putting one foot in front of the other and uh, following your bliss doesn't come without challenge and failure, but you just got to keep going forward because energy expended is energy returned. Beautiful. Thank you so much, man. Oh. So no, I was gonna say so many great stories. Just want to remind everybody that Ron James, his all over the map memoirs are out. They just came out September twenty eighth. So you want to go out and pick that up? Uh, they're at Barnes and Noble down in the states, and uh, you can get it on Amazon or Penguin Random House. And Beautiful. jump on Facebook if you want to say hello. I'm on Instagram too. Ron yes. Ramblin Man. Ron Ramblin Man. Anyway, yep. Ron Ramblin Man. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll throw that all up uh, on the uh, when the oh, episode goes up. I said hello. I will absolutely. If you're talking absolutely. to him, man, that's too yeah. bad we didn't get a chance to talk about the movie we were going to do last summer. But maybe we next can... summer we'll be able to talk about it when we've done it. Absolutely, nice. you're definitely got to come back on, man. Hey, I'll uh, listen. I'll keep in touch. I'll give you a shout when we're in New York, and uh, away we go. Thank you so so much we'll for coming on, on, man. It what was a blast, pleasure. man. Dystopia tonight.